Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to share an Apple podcast review with you. Victoria says, information and inspiration. I'm really enjoying listening to Sarah Nicholas speak with authors. It's not only interesting to hear their journeys to publication, but it's also so hopeful to hear all the varied ways people become published. Thank you so much, Victoria, for your kind words and for reaching out. I'll never forget how much help I got through this journey. There's no way I would ever say that I could have done this by myself. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please consider leaving a review on your podcast app or sharing the episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show with a couple bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, you're going to hear from Laura Siegel Stegman. LA-based arts publicist and author Laura Siegel Stegman's middle grade debut, Summer of Luck, was released in September 2020 by Intense Publications and will be followed by a sequel in 2021. Her nonfiction credits include the travel book Only in New York. Her feature stories have appeared in Los Angeles Times and Westways Magazine, among others. So please welcome Laura to the show. Hello. Hi, I am thrilled to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you agreed to come on. So let's go back to kind of the very beginning of your journey towards publication. When did you first start getting interested in writing and how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, my writer's story is rather lengthy. I'm a public relations consultant and I always wrote in my work for that bios and all kinds of different things. And I really loved telling stories. And and one day in 2001, which now we're talking 20 years ago, I decided that I wanted to do something that wasn't to do with work. And I wanted it to be a creative thing. And I wanted to write a story, a book. And um, I knew nothing about any of any of that. But I had been a very voracious reader when I was a kid, and I loved middle grade books, and I still read some of them at the time and still do. And I thought, well, that'll be, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to write a book for a kid that will make some kid today maybe feel the way I used to feel when I read those books. I started writing. The first draft took a while, maybe a couple of years, because I didn't do it full time. And when it was finished, I was like, this is great you know, I'm going to get published. (laughs) I mean, it meant a lot to me, this story, this story of these three kids finding their way to self-acceptance with the help of a ghost who haunts a magical carnival. That's basically what Summer of Luck is about. So I immediately 
sent it off to an agent. And, you know, I mean, this was someone that, that I had some relationship with. And they, they wrote back and they said, you know, they had someone in their office evaluated and it wasn't very positive. And so that sort of started me on this very lengthy journey. You know, I'm the type of person that I want to do things by myself. It never would have occurred to me to do all the things I ended up doing later, like get help and find other writers to share my writing with. But it was very early on in the journey that I believed in in the story that I wanted to tell, which of course changed with revision and revision and revision over the years. But that was pretty immediate. How many revisions do you do, did you do, do you know? Probably... 20 to 25. <laughs> I mean, because in the beginning, I I was kind of editing more than revising, I think, in the mm. beginning. In the context of my life and my work, I have a lot of contacts. And I had a contact with an agent probably 10 years into the story. And so the book was, you know, written like, uh, well, it wasn't that I didn't know how to write, but it wasn't necessarily written well for being a middle grade book, you know, for kids mm. who wouldn't have been interested in the adult points of view that I kept sticking into the story. He looked at it and he had it evaluated by someone in his office. And this time it was a little more positive, but he said to me, do you want to work with a development editor? And I was like, Sure. I mean, I didn't know what a development editor was. And I just thought, you know, I want to get better. I want this book to, I want to keep learning. I want it to get to a place where someone is going to be interested in publishing it. He hooked me up with this fantastic man who, you know, we worked together over a period of a year. And I learned everything I know today about writing a novel from this man. He helped me realize, you know, and see that the point of view thing that I had in there where I had, I had three kids point of view, and I had probably like six adults. Oh, wow. I had all these side stories with it takes place at a summer camp. And I had this side story where these two adult counselors were having a conflict and, and how <laughs> it was resolved. And it was like, he's like, this isn't gonna work. And I'm like, really, I love that. <laughs> so it had to go. You know, there's mm -hmm. lots of pages on the cutting room floor from where it was at that point. He also brought me to how I could tell a story by showing and not telling. I mean, that that was, he. I don't even remember that he used those terms. But when I did hear those terms later on, I was like, I know how to do that. You know, <laughs> writing fiction is completely different from the kind of writing I was doing. And I had no clue, really. So I'm very grateful to to having spent all that time doing that. And I, you know, I kept believing in the book. And I stopped querying, at, you know, at that point, when we finished, I felt like, okay, this book is getting better. You know, this book is good. Like, again, I had sort of a, a grandiose idea of, of what was going to sell, because I still didn't really know anything about the publishing world. I just was a better writer by then. So um, at that point, I discovered the Twitterverse, the, the writing community on Twitter. I discovered Pitch Wars, which I had never heard of. And I realized that there was a lot of opportunity for me to find out a lot of stuff about publishing through, through these, these resources. And I love Twitter. I'm 
you know, I spent a lot of time <laughs> reading it, you know, and but Twitter has really served me well because as you know, I started applying to pitch wars, never got in, but I was lucky enough to apply to mentors who some of them gave me feedback. So I started getting feedback from writers who were published or writers who were, you know, going to be published or writers who knew what they were doing and people who who knew more, way more about the publishing business than I did. And it was valuable. So, you know, I know you asked me a question a while ago that I, I think I said, you know, how many times has it been re revised? It's been so many that I really could never even say. Mm -hmm. Because every time I would get some input from a mentor, like, or not that they were mentoring me per se, but someone who would give me feedback, you know, I could see, oh, yeah, I need to adjust that. And the story of Summer of Luck, from where it was when I started to where it is today, the arc is the same, you know, but the, the details of it have. Even the ending changed. So can you tell me about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author? I wanted to be a published author before I even started. I just thought that would be the coolest thing in the world, you know, to write a book that would, you know, feel to a kid today, like the way my favorite middle grade books felt to me when I was growing up, to give something like that to a kid, that was gold. That was gold. When I was a kid, you know, I read books that helped me see that things that I was going through or things that I felt or the way that I looked, that I wasn't alone. I never knew that until I found kids and stories in middle grade books that, that were just like me. And, and that's what I wanted to do. That's why I wanted to write a, a middle grade book. That's why I spent all the time that I spent it wasn't my plan to make tons of money, and I haven't, but I really wanted to do it for the love of it. And that's what drove me and has driven me and has continued to drive me all these years. I love hearing the, the answers to this question because I've been getting kind of a wide re range of responses where you said that you wanted to be a published author before you wrote a book. And some people didn't realize that they wanted to be a published author until after they had written a book which is just really fascinating. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, Twitter and pitch wars and, and your contacts in the industry. Was there any other way that you started to learn about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to write a query, how to go about it, things like that? Twitter was the, the gateway to people who were bloggers, people with talk shows like you, you know, I mean, I came a little later to your show, but but I started reading Agent Janet Reed's blog very early on and learning about query letters, which were harder to write query letters and log lines and things like that, <laughs> harder than writing a book. I would see Janet Reed would have a list of her favorite blogs. So I would look those up and I'd start reading those. I just, I tried to connect with and to learn from anybody that I could find Twitter chats, Twitter pitch contests. I entered Pitch Wars probably three different years, I think. And each time I would get connected with some generous mentor who was willing to give me some feedback. So that was amazing. 
you know, there's something called right mentor or there was, I think there still is. And I got somebody requested my full and that's like the first time that had ever happened because agent responses at that point were like, no, thank you. <laughs> this isn't for me. I felt like connecting with other writers like that was amazingly helpful. Obviously, I agree. I love connecting with other writers. Another blog is Janice Hardy's blog. She has this opportunity to connect with critique partners, and she has all kinds of great information. She was another one that was very notable in helping me find my way to other writing resources. Yeah, Janice is great. Janice is actually the first writer that I read their book and then met them in person. She was doing the UCF Book Festival, and I had tweeted at her that I was excited to see her at it. And she recognized me from Twitter in the audience and, you know, said hi. And then we ended up going to lunch together. Wow. It was just like the coolest thing. Like I was texting my sister, I'm at lunch with Janice Hardy. I was so excited, you know? Yeah, I know. I, I loved I loved that you had her on your show recently because I was like, I can't wait to hear what she had to say. And it was a good show. All of them are good shows. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So you started to get some feedback from Pitch Wars mentors and Write Mentor mentors and other people in the industry. So what happened after that? How did you get from that point to signing a book contract? After I entered Pitch Wars, I also started entering other Twitter contests. Like it was called Pitch Madness at the time, but it's like Pit Mad now and things like that. Any opportunity to get feedback, that was really what I was looking for. I, I would post on writer con forums and things like that. I just wanted feedback more than anything. I, I also went back to querying, which was a really big mistake because I never got any any response. But after a while, I found two amazing critique partners, one of whom is still my critique partner today. The other one helped me, you know, really a lot with a one one time through with Summer of Luck. And I went through her book and reading other people's books too was super helpful because at that point I was still reading middle grade books from my childhood, which at that point was a really long time ago. Mm. <laughs> I started reading middle contemporary middle grade books, you know, books that had been written in the last five or so years. Once I had these two critique partners, we got down to the real issues in my book. There was still some point of view. I mean, the, the point of view where I got rid of the adults, they were already gone. I mean, most of the adult points of view. But the point of view that I had was switching from character to character within a scene. And even though there's plenty of books that I've read since, like adult books mostly, it didn't work for middle grade books. And so I had to do oh, yet another major rewrite to fix that. And that was heartbreaking because, you know, I would have these lines in the book where it's like one point of view, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh, I have to get rid of that. Ah. <laughs> it was really hard. And my way of writing is like, this is perfect. It's great. Let it sit for a week, read it again, 
oh my gosh, I can't write. I'll never be a writer. I'll never get public. You know, we all go through that. I've heard many other people say that. So I just kept feeling like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to query again. No, I'm not, you know. And I did anyway, which is like I said. I made a lot of mistakes in this journey, but I would not change a minute of it because my days were filled during the day with my PR work. And I love my PR work, but nothing brings me the kind of joy that working on Summer of Luck did. And even subsequently, I'm writing, I wrote a sequel already in a year, as opposed to 20 years. And I'm working on my third, you know, the the sequel to that, because I have a three book deal with intense publications. All right. So you got your critique partners. And at some point, you did decide that you were ready to query for real, right? Of all the Twitter contests that I entered, I got picked for one and got more more feedback and again revise revise i mean the the per, that particular contest was i think it was the first 10 pages or something like that but you know the first 10 pages you ha- are are what's going to make an agent sit up and take notice so so it was really important to make sure that that was right once i got accepted or picked for that contest I got put on a team of writers and they gave us feedback and we I mean it was like the first time anybody anybody in the writing community had liked my book enough to include me in something like that that was super encouraging I feel I felt like I was finally kind of on the right path I started querying again after that then I started getting requests. Instead of the, you know, sending out 30 queries and getting either silence or this isn't for me, I was getting requests for either pages or sometimes full requests. And then the, the rejections would happen ultimately. And, and with that came more suggestions, so more rewrites. But again, I just kept learning and I kept making the book better and I could see wow I can see why that didn't work look what I have now so I knew that I was on the right track and I just wasn't quite there yet the year before I signed my my contract with intense publications I was getting a lot of requests and I was really encouraged and I had decided because this journey had gone on for so long I was going to query 100 agents, and when I finished that, if I didn't get an agent offer by then, which I never did, by the way, I was going to start querying small publishers directly. I had a friend who had written a middle grade book. She had been inspired by me, you know, and she wrote the book way faster. She got an agent. The agent ultimately couldn't sell the book, so she went to a small publisher and her book was coming out. And I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I kind of had this, you know, I'm going to use the word antiquated, but it's not really antiquated. But the idea that if I didn't do it a certain way, then there was no value in it. There was no value in getting a book published if you didn't have an agent. And, you know, I mean, 
people would say to me, friends would say, well, or who knew what self-publishing was, they would say, well, why don't you just publish it? You know, people want to read it. You know, they had no clue about the industry, you know, and how, how books are sold and anything like that. I just thought I have to do it the way it's supposed to be done, you know, whatever that is. Ultimately, I came to a, a point, this is kind of a little bit of a thread that I want to run through my story, and that is that I had to look at why I was so hesitant to do it a little bit differently. And I kind of realized that I was afraid to not go the route of traditionally published, agented, published, because I was afraid of their, my parents' criticism. And I didn't realize that until somebody asked me, why? Why don't, why, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And when I thought about it and I realized that was the problem, I was like, oh, oh that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know. And that freed me. That freed me so that I said, okay, I'm going to query 100 agents. I'm going to give it one last shake. And if I don't get any yeses, I'm going to start querying small publishers. That's what I did. I had a lot of success with with getting requests. I had I think I had 5 full requests. I can't remember the exact number. And I had maybe 5 more for pages. And I had to wait. You know, I didn't I didn't query all 100 at a time. I did 3 a week or 5 a week or something like that. And then just when I would think, okay, I've given this these agents enough time to either respond or to know that they weren't going to respond, I would get a response. And then I'd have to wait three more months. I had one agent that first asked me for 10 pages, then she wanted 50, then she wanted the full. And I thought, I've never gotten that far. This is going to be it, right? And it wasn't because she ultimately rejected me. And the day she rejected me, my first reaction was like, I'm a failure. I can't write. I'm never going to get published. And then, you know, within 15 minutes, I was, I have alternatives. I'm going to keep going. During those last three months, I started researching small publishers and I found a list. I think I had about 18. I had my list already. I researched each one of them. I, I looked up, you know, you do all the things that I had already learned to do, like check out right mentor and see if they were mentioned there or, you know, do a Google search. And I felt really confident at that point. I felt like I'm taking my writing career into my own hands as much as I can. And I'm going to take the next step. I I didn't know where I was going to end up at that point. So October 1st, you know, I had 18 names on my publisher's list. I sent out six queries the first week. And I sent out six queries the second week, and I sent out six the third. And I started getting requests for fulls immediately. Some of the publishers on that list wanted your entire, you know, the full to begin with. I think the fourth week, maybe, I got an email one morning from Intense Publications. I saw it in my email, and I was like, oh, another rejection. And I opened it up. It was a yes. And not only was it a yes, but the publisher said, I love this and I want to publish it. And would you be interested in doing two sequels? Because I had said it had serious potential and it was always sort of my idea that 
there would be more books. And I just, I was stunned. I was looking at my phone and I walked into the living room with tears in my eyes and my husband's like, what's wrong? You know, I knew that even if all the other publishers ended up rejecting me, because I had had some requests at that point, I had one yes. I wrote her back and I asked for the phone call. You know, I I was going to do due diligence. I wasn't just going to say, yes, whatever, I'll sign my life away. I wasn't going to do that. I had a phone call with her. I found out all the things I needed to know. Since I didn't have an agent, I joined the the Authors Guild, which offers um, members the opportunity to have their contracts reviewed by an attorney who knows the writing business. She had offered to give me some names of the other authors that were part of the Intense Publications family, but I had already contacted one via Twitter, and I had had a conversation with him to find out what it was like to have a book deal with Intense. And it was all good. It was all good. I mean, Intense is a very, very small publisher. I went into it with my eyes open as to how much of the work that I would have to do on publicity and marketing. Guess what? I am a publicist. (laughs) I don't do book publicity. I, I didn't really know anything about that. But I know how to promote. I know how to publicize. And I know how to make the most of what I'm working with. So that has served me very well. So I signed my contract and it was a thrill. It was a thrill after 20 years of working really hard to make my book good enough for somebody to want to publish. And, you know, if you compare the first draft of Summer of Luck to what it is today, I mean, it would be laughable. But even I would say probably a version that was um, two or three years old, Again, it wasn't ready, wasn't ready. One of the agents who looked at it, she said to me, you know, in her feedback, I'm not comfortable with with the way that the, the character of Darby, she stopped stuttering at the end of the book. That was my original ending. And she said, that I don't like that. that. That doesn't work at all. So what I realized was, you know, just like in my own experience with my mom and my family, it wasn't that I changed and all of a sudden then I was okay. It was that I learned to accept myself just the way that I was. And it didn't matter as much what what my parents thought. It's funny because that had been your theme from the beginning, right? The journey to self-acceptance. But even in the ending that you wrote, you were going against your own theme. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? That's why all this input was gold to me. All the time that it took, all the hard work that I put into querying and rewriting my query letter and rewriting the book, I'll never forget how much help I got through this journey. There's no way I would ever say that I could have done this by myself. You know, I didn't get the... um, big five publication deal, but I got my book in print and it's real and I wrote it, you know, and I'm thrilled. So can you go ahead and read that successful query letter for us? It starts off dear and then it was personalized. I'm seeking a publisher for Summer of Luck, my multi-POV middle grade contemporary fantasy with series potential complete at 45,000 words. 
the first three chapters are attached or whatever I was attaching, whatever they requested. 11-year-old stuttering Darby believes she's supposed to be perfect, just like her mother demands. But summer away at Camp Inch promises temporary escape. There, she befriends fellow campers Justin and Naz, who have troubles of their own. Justin hasn't uttered a word since his dad died. Naz is struggling to learn English. When mysterious calliope music from a nearby warehouse grants the trio power to communicate without words, they sneak inside to find out why. After the abandoned building bursts into a full-size carnival with magical games and rides, they're greeted by the ghost of Leroy Usher, Carnival King, who can't rest until his property brings joy to children once again. He asks for their help, convincing his estranged sons and daughters to restore the carnival to its former glory before summer's end. In return, Mr. Usher promises he'll teach Darby, Justin, and Naz how to find their voices. Using an enchanted pocket watch, he sweeps them off on a series of midnight adventures. As the kids learn they're capable of accomplishing more than they ever imagined, they scheme to persuade the Usher siblings to bring the carnival back to life as part of Camp Inch instead of selling the property to developers. With each challenge they face, their confidence in communicating, and in themselves, grows. But when Darby's bunkmates trick her into taking a starring role in the camp's talent show, her budding confidence falters. If she can't risk being less than perfect by performing in the talent show and speaking up to Mr. Usher's resistant son, she'll put the carnival in danger and sabotage her most important quest to believe in herself, stutter and all. Summer of Lux fantasy elements, diverse characters, and message about friendship are a great fit for trends shaping the children's book market. Its unique plot weaves an imaginative tale of three kids navigating their way to self-acceptance with the help of a ghostly figure who inhabits an enchanted carnival. It will appeal to middle grade age boys and girls and their parents who loved You Go First by Aaron and Trotta Kelly, The Matchstick Castle by Keir Graff, and Sticks and Stones by Abby Cooper. Camp Inch's name comes from Disney's original movie, The Parent Trap. And then the letter concludes with the About Me section, which you basically read earlier and then finally thank you for your time and consideration thank you so how has your experience been since signing your contract through the book's release were there any surprises along the way being that my publisher was very small sometimes it was really hard to get hold of them sometimes it was really slow getting getting a response but I've heard that from people who have agents and have contracts with big publishers too so I'm not sure that that is that unusual I, I didn't like it I still don't like it <laughs> I'd like things to happen at my speed but life isn't like that so this is the quick round section of the podcast I call it author DNA so it's just this whole bunch of you know things that we use to classify writers and so I'm going to ask you which one you are and you just give me your answer as quickly as you can so are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser. 
Do you tend to overwrite or underwrite? Overwrite. Are you more of a morning writer or a nighttime writer? Nighttime writer. Whenever you start a story, do you usually start with character or plot or concept or something else? Character. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea. <laughs> oh, no. Tea and tea. <laughs> do you prefer silence or sound when writing? Sound, but only a very particular kind of sound. What is that? Classical music or baseball. <laughs> Dodger baseball. <laughs> I can't explain that, but yeah, if a Dodger game is on and I'm I'm writing, I'm I'm listening to that too. When it comes to writing the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? Get it right. What tools or software do you use to draft? Microsoft Word and pen and paper. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. It's easier. <laughs> Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential order. The show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We already had you read your query, and now we're going to get into that second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey? And were they realized or did you overcome them or how did they shake out? Because I'd been working on, on Summer of Luck for so long that I aged 20 years during that time. And I was already not a young person to begin with. I was worried I'd run out of time, which is why ultimately I did make a decision to going to small publishers or, or some other decision. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. To take rejection or to take negative comments to heart is something that's going to put up a block in my way. I just wanted to keep going. And I believed in my story and I believed in my characters and I believed in Summer of Luck. And I never gave up. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you think is interesting or unique besides listening to baseball when you write? <laughs> One of the things that happens to me that, again, is very common in writers, but it's this idea that if I can't make any progress on a given writing session on a given evening, then I will never make progress. I mean, that's, that's what occurs to me. That's happened to me enough times, and then I stop, and I come back the next night, and all of a sudden, the problem is solved. It's happened to me enough times that start, it's built into my sense memory. Every time it happens again, I despair briefly or for an evening, and then I just go back to it the next night, and I don't give up. And uh, I would check Twitter, and I would check Facebook. Th that's a quirk. Checking social media is like, you know, well, maybe if when I come back to that from checking social media, I'll have an idea. No, that never works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not really. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? I would see other writers who were, you know, I had started to get to know. I saw people getting agents, getting book deals. I kept worrying, will this ever happen for me? That was a very low point, you know, to sort of be at that place and have no solution to those kind of thoughts. What I ultimately did, every so often I would see something on Twitter. Like I, I remember this one writer who I think she was said she was in her 50s or something like that. And I'm even older than that. She got a book deal and she said, I've queried for years and 
I just got a book deal and there's no age limit to our dreams. I think she said something like that. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. Maybe that's something I should listen to instead of the, the thing that really brought me down. So I started making a collection of 31 affirmations to myself that were related to, to my writing career. And that was one of them. And one of them was um, Lady Gaga when she won her Oscar. People kept talking about her great acceptance speech. And so I listened to it on like YouTube or something. And there it was, you know, she said, don't ever stop. It doesn't matter how many times you get rejected, how many times you get beaten down. What matters is how is that you get up and you keep going. Those kinds of things. So at the end, so I had a I had 31 days, I had a month's worth of affirmations. And every morning, if it was the first of the month, I would read number one and so on. And and one of the things, because I also I have a, a spiritual life and I kept praying give me an answer. Let me know what I should be doing. And all I kept hearing back on that was patience. Just keep going. Patience, just keep going. So that was one, another one of my affirmations. And those, just doing that every month for however many, I mean, I still read that every day, every single day. I read one thing from that list, but that kept me going. That was something that worked for me to continue to keep the faith and keep going in the direction, keep working, revise or whatever I happen to be doing at the moment. That's how I, how I maintained and, and kept believing in myself and kept believing that I would somehow, someday this could happen to me. That was another one of my affirmations. And it did. Did you make any mistakes along your journey that you would like to share with listeners, maybe, you know, helping them prevent making those mistakes for themselves? I queried way too soon. I didn't know any anything about the publishing business. I didn't know anything. Those were my two biggest mistakes. So, you know, over time, I addressed those things by learning about the publishing business. I mean, you can't unquery someone you've already queried. If I had queried them maybe 10 years before, if you have a dream agent and you've queried them and they've rejected you, that's it, you know, and on, on that particular project. So that was a big mistake on my part. I have heard the last couple of years agents be a little more lenient about that, where they're saying if you've made a big revision, feel free to query them again. But I feel like if you asked 10 different agents that question, you might get 10 different answers. So who knows? <laughs> You know, another thing that I've learned just by paying as much attention as I can to what's happening in, in the publishing world, you know, sometimes a book can be great and nobody buys it. I mean, even agented authors have had books that they've had to shelve because a publisher didn't buy it. And it's just because it wasn't the right book for the market at, at that point. I've learned that publishing is subjective, too. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey to publication? Never give up. Connect with other writers. Those are the two most important things that I learned. When I started connecting with other writers and got critique partners, we were reading each other's work and giving feedback on very detailed level. That was the best thing that ever happened to me on this journey. 
This is what I like to call the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business most of us succeed in completely on our own. You've mentioned several people while we were recording, but do you want to give a shout out to anyone else or any other organization or anything who kind of helped you along your way? My critique partner, who's name is Layla. I just want to give her a shout out. She's the one who's who's still with me several years later, three or four years later. She is like my guardian angel. Summer of Luck would never have been published without her. My husband, who kept telling me I believe in you, that was gold. I mentioned bloggers like Agent Janet Reed and Janice Hardy, you know, just the writers who took the time to give me feedback. I see them on Twitter. I'm sure they don't even remember that they did that, but I'll never forget them. Once I had my publishing deal, I I joined a Facebook group of debut writers for 2020. They helped me immeasurably, I mean, just to kind of get ready for publication. And I also just want to go back to the idea of, you know, mentioning my parents. When I got my deal, intense publications, I love them. They made my dream come true. I I have nothing, nothing bad to say about them at all. But it wasn't a big five publisher. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have an agent. And my parents at this point were in their 90s. I told them, that I got a publishing deal, that my book was going to be published. And instead of asking me, have you had your contract reviewed? You know, have you this and that? You know, what's the money like? They didn't do any of that. They were thrilled. It was shocking to me after growing up with a lot of criticism. And they were joyful. They couldn't wait. And my book came out last September. And my dad passed away a month later. But he saw it. He saw the book. He was thrilled. And my mom passed away last week. And I was telling her about a week before she died about how I was telling my author's story to a classroom of kids. And she said, I am so proud of you. So my journey, which came from a challenging childhood, as most of us have, and in even a challenging adulthood until I learned to be able to detach from my parents' supposed criticism of me. But in the end, the, the story of, of love and family, I got to not only have the intense joy, or <laughs> funny word to choose, but the, the great joy of having my book published and holding it in my hands and opening it up and reading it to someone or seeing people buy it. Not only that, but I got this sort of beautiful closure with my parents. You read your query for us, so we know quite a bit about Summer of Luck, but is there anything else that you want to share with us or the listeners about that book and its sequel if they're interested in checking it out? Summer of Luck is a lot about friendship, about three kids who are isolated and feel all alone. When they come to this summer camp, and they meet each other, and they discover this magical power to hear each other's thoughts, they go on a journey together that involves a lot of magic and magical adventures, and and they learn how to find their voices. But the story is grounded, and the, the discoveries that they make and the changes that happen to them are grounded in reality. 
it's not like someone waves a magic wand and says, okay, you're, you're fixed. Summer of Luck 2 is a little bit of a different book. It's the point of view of Justin. He's really struggling. He's struggling with a bully and he's struggling with a, a friend who gets mad at him and stops talking to him. And he's pretty upset that the world seems so unfair. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find the text of Laura's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.